0: together. Father, we, we bow before you in this moment. And God, we are about to read a text of Scripture that is reality, will be reality, for all of us gathered here who are in Christ. So God, I pray that you would use this passage of Scripture, God, to to just fill us with joy and hope that is in you. Lord, I pray that you would cast our gaze upward to you and deepen our affections for you, Lord. God, I pray for friends gathered here this morning, God, whom know not and will not know this reality. I pray, Lord, that You would do a great work of salvation in their lives. Draw them to Yourself, Lord. Open their eyes to behold Your glory, Your grace, and their need for You. And God, I do ask for wisdom. And I confess that this is a more grand reality and a greater glory than we can comprehend. So God, please grant wisdom as we look at your word. God, prevent me from speculation. God, would you find me faithful to just preach your word and your truth this morning? We ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you haven't been with us, we're working our way through a a series on heaven, all things new, life in light of eternity. Considering what does what does God's word reveal about our final destination as believers? What does it mean? What does it look like to do what Paul talks about in Colossians three, to to set our gaze above, to to look to the things that are above and not just walk and not just live in light of the world and the, the things we can get our hands on and things we can wrap our minds around. And so several passages that we've looked at already, and particularly this one that we look at this morning in Revelation 21, really directs our gaze upward to heaven and gives us a glimpse of what is to come. And it does so in a way that honestly is just quite remarkable and And to be perfectly honest with you, as I've read and studied it this week, I just keep coming back to the the fact that there is so much about God and His glory and His greatness and the magnificence of His Word that He's revealed to us that, that just leaves us shaking our head in awe. And so this morning we look at Revelation 21 as you turn there. I, I just want to, just for a moment, kind of give you a picture in your mind that I think we'll use to kind of help understand what's going on in Revelation 21. I want you just to, for a moment, just kind of imagine that that you have you have won this free construction of your dream home. And it'll be situated on your dream tract of land. I don't, I don't know what that might be for you. Maybe it's on a, a cliff overlooking the, the sea with a beautiful sunrise every morning. Or maybe it's nestled in the woods on, or at the top of a mountain. I don't know what it might look like, but, but you have won this. Construction begins, and as construction begins, they, they give you and say, Listen, we want you to already know and experience part of this. We want to give you this remarkable, unbelievable, uh, perhaps a, a travel trailer, top of the line, incredible travel trailer we're going to put on the property and you can move on into. Or perhaps it's a, a cottage that they go ahead and construct that you can live in, this luxury cottage or luxury travel trailer. Now, it's great. It's quite honestly a upgrade from where you're at now for many of us in here something like that would be an upgrade for us right we appreciate that we like it we enjoy it but it pales in comparison to the home that is being built it pales in comparison to the the ultimate the final reality the final destination of where we will reside now the question is this is in the midst of that, would you be absolutely content with saying, you know what, I'm just going to stay here. I don't want to go there. I don't want to consider what it would li- be like to, to live there and what has been gifted to me. I, I don't want I don't, I to don't experience the, the joy and the enjoyment, the, the glory, the, the grandness of living in that place. I'm just content here. Or would you even just settle with the travel trailer? Would you say, well, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's all I want. No, we, we would long for the best. We would long for that final destination. We would long for what awaits, right? Right? So I want you just to hold that picture in your mind as we talk about this and get into our text, but before we do, I want to kind of explain two concepts that I believe are important for us to consider, when we look at Revelation 21, two concepts that we just need to understand at the back of our mind, and it'll, it'll kind of make sense of the illustration there at the beginning. I hope the first concept is this: is redemptive continuity. Redemptive continuity. It's the, the principle that, that God does not destroy or do away with his creation, but instead restores, redeems, and renews it. You'll, you'll remember our very first sermon came actually from Revelation 21. I told you that day that we would come back to Revelation 21, and here we are. We looked at, at that day. We focused on Revelation 21, verses 5 through 8. Today, we'll look at the rest of the chapter. But redemptive continuity is this idea that God doesn't just do away with his creation. He doesn't. He doesn't Forget it. He doesn't just go, well, that was, that was a mistake. Goodness, I'm going to get rid of that and just do a new one. No, he renews, he redeems, he restores it. That's what we saw in Revelation 21:5, where God makes the statement, the declaration, I am making all things new. We think about our own personal lives, our own personal walk with the Lord and our, our faith. We read in 2 Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so we understand there, in that instance, and in that understanding, that description of us and our walk with the Lord, our relationship, our standing with Him, that the, the old heart of flesh the, that was dead in trans, transgression and sin, the heart of stone, was restored and given newness of life. God made us alive. We were not destroyed. So we... Easy example. We, we think about Paul and, and Paul's testimony that he was made new in Christ. Paul was still Paul, but he was different. He had been changed by the grace of God. In our opening illustration, it is somewhat the idea of the house that will be magnificent. It will be kind of like the cottage, but it will be better in a much more glorious, in a much more grand way. It will be similar. There's some continuity there. It's been redeemed. It's been Uh, renewed it's been restored it's been made new it's been made better than it was before the theologian herman Babnick writes this to help us understand it better he says god's honor consists precisely in the fact that he redeems and renews the same humanity the same world the same heaven and the same earth that have been corrupted and polluted by sin Just as anyone in Christ is a new creation in whom the old has passed away and everything has become new, so this world passes away in its present form as well in order out of its womb as God's word of power, at God's word of power, to give birth and being to a new world. What he's explaining there is what we've been talking about. There's this continuity where he takes what is old, the old earth, the old heavens, and makes them new and restores them. He restores the same humanity, same world, same heaven, and same earth to make it new. This redemptive continuity. He redeems and there's some continuity to creation. He doesn't just cast it aside and abolish it. So that's the first concept we need to understand. The second one is something that we've referred to before and it's just a, a kind of a, an understanding of New Testament theology and it applies here when we think about the new heavens and the new earth. It's the idea of the already and not yet. The already and not yet. What we understand here is that, that believers already experience the blessings and the assurance of heaven in the presence of God when we die. But the day in which all things are made new has not yet come. Okay, so there's a, this already and not yet. So we already, we already, as believers, we will experience the blessings of being in the presence of God when we die. Right? We already experience the assurance of that. We don't go into this kind of holding taint, but we experience and we, we have, we've been blessed with the assurance of that. right? But the new heavens and the new earth, as it will be, all things being made new, has not yet come come and so we have this understanding this idea of, of heaven now and heaven forevermore. so as we consider our eternal home there's a distinction that needs to be made and most of us don't really consider it. we haven't perhaps even thought about this and the distinction is that heaven as revealed in scripture is more marvelous in the future than it is right now that's, that's something that is can be hard to wrap our minds around, right? Because we typically we just refer to heaven. I'm going to be in heaven now and you die and I'm in heaven you know, in, in the presence of the Lord immediately and that's where I'm going to dwell for all time. Well, according to Scripture, we look at Revelation. There is a, a progression and heaven becomes more marvelous, more grand, more glorious. Heaven will change. And this doesn't mean God changes, right? Heaven is not God, God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things. God does not change. Okay, God does not change. But heaven becomes more grand, changes in a more glorious way. So that means we have an understanding then, we see in Scripture, this idea of a present heaven and a final heaven. A present heaven and a final heaven. The present heaven would be the, the, the already, what you've already been given. So if you go back to that initial illustration, it's, that, it's what is, you already have in your possession. It's what you already know the present heaven. Some refer to this as the, the intermediate state. I, I don't like that reference just because to me it sounds too much like the, the Roman Catholic teaching of purgatory, right? It's not the idea of purgatory. It's not the idea that you would, you would kind of be, be held in this holding tank and, and you could be prayed into heaven or you might achieve that or advance that later. That's not what it's talking about. Okay? Now, it's the present heaven, a distinction that that it is what we enter into now upon death as the believers, as believers. So, the saints, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, heaven as it is now is what we enter into upon death until the Lord returns and raises our bodies to life, joining us again with them. It's where we are in the presence of God. So it is what you need to understand here is it is biblical and true to state that believers at death go to be in the real presence of Christ. In the real presence of Christ. We are in the presence of the Lord upon death. And Paul understood this. He expressed this. We'll look at this more in depth next week. Okay? We won't dive into this today, but we'll look at these passages in depth next week. The hope that we have in Christ that we are with Christ upon death. 2 Corinthians 5.8, he, he says we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, right? And even in Philippians 1.23, he says my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is much better. The, the longing to be in the presence of Christ. So, so much of what we know and, and we think about regarding heaven as it is now, is what we understand, the reality of present heaven. But what Revelation 21 shows us is there's even more to anticipate, more to look forward to. We know that in heaven right now what's going on, the praises of the king, right? That around the throne the king is being worshipped. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. It's the same thing we see in Revelation, we see in Isaiah 6. He's being worshipped, he's being exalted. The saints and heavenly creatures around the throne, in present heaven, what is heaven now? But we also see heaven forevermore, or final heaven. Uh, Randy Alcorn has written a book called Heaven is a Good Book, and he makes a distinction between present heaven and eternal heaven. Some people make a distinction between present heaven and future heaven. Okay, final heaven is what I'm just terminating here today is, is where believers will dwell with God for all eternity after the final resurrection at Christ's return. When Christ returns and brings all things to a close, it is where we will dwell with him. Uh, one, one writer, Robert Peterson, he wrote a book called Life Everlasting. He notes this and explains it this way is that people are not mistaken when they say the Bible teaches that believers' spirits survive death and immediately enjoy Christ's presence in heaven. But we make a big mistake if we regard this as exhausting our Christian hope. It's not the end. It's not as glorious it will be, and we see that in Revelation 21, and this is where we want to land for the remainder of our time. Let's let's look at the word of the Lord this morning. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1, we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels. He had the seven bowls full of the last plagues and spoke to me, saying, I just want to, at this point, just encourage you, just listen. You, know, you can read along or you can just listen, but I want you in your mind's eye to just listen how this is described. It is remarkable. It's mind-boggling. It just kind of leaves you going, wow, wow. Verse 16, I'm I'm sorry, uh, verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and he carried me, carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with Twelve gates, and at the gates, twelve angels, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The the city lies four squares, length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. It's about 1,380 miles tall. Its length and its width are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian. The seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the, the eleventh Jacinth, Jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. Those are almost as tough as Old Testament names. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter into it, ever. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's just read the first five verses of 22. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. It's incredible. Most of the week, I sat in my office doing the same thing I'm doing now. Whoa. What do I say? What more do you say? How do you explain that? How how do we wrap our finite minds around this? But to say it's going to be more glorious than we can fathom. And to say that God's dwelling is going to be with man. And to say that the, the city of God is strong, secure, it's glorious. It's an amazing, amazing picture of what awaits the believer. See, Revelation 21 is telling of that moment in which God ushers in the, the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we read right when the, ver- the chapter begins. It's the moment in which the, the, the beauty and the, the blessings of present heaven give way to the beauty, blessings, and glory of the final heaven when God's redemption and restoration of all creation is complete. When all things are made new, when He said, It is done, it's finished. Behold, I'm making all things new, and it is done complete this is a a transitional chapter if you just think about revelation for a moment and and you don't have to flip back but in the beginning of revelation when you start the book and in chapter one verse seven and eight we john begins by by sharing what christ revealed and what he reveals to him in that moment is is that he's coming again the assurance that christ will return and then in chapters two and three we have letters to seven churches from christ and, and these letters all call the people of God to persevere, to overcome. And he continues in, in showing what that is to the seven churches. In Revelations 4, we get a, a glimpse of the worship of God in heaven that's going on. The exaltation of Christ, the, the Lamb who is worthy. We see that. We get a glimpse of it. We, we, we are allowed a sneak, a sneak peek of the exaltation of, of God by saints and heavenly creatures. You move into chapter 5 through 20 and it's largely primarily about the judgment of God upon unbelievers and Satan as God pours out His holy wrath to bring in, to usher in the new creation that we read of in chapter 21. What we see throughout the whole book of Revelation is we see God sovereignly working out His good and perfect plan. We see that Christ wins. That He carries out the plan. He has purposed. He ordained. He punished the wicked. Fully restores and redeems His people. And then 21 and 22 gives us just a beautiful picture of what John Bunyan would call the celestial city in the pilgrim's progress. Let's look let's look this morning at five things we learn about heaven forevermore, final heaven from Revelation 21. We will not get through all five of these. We'll save some for next week. There's five things we learn about heaven forevermore. First, is that there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. There will be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. In the the Old Testament, we understand, we see heaven as God's dwelling place. The earth is man's dwelling. And Jerusalem is the holy city in which the temple, the presence of God, is centered among man. Now, if you keep that in mind in the Old Testament that heaven is God's dwelling place and earth is man's dwelling place, it makes it really beautiful in Revelation 21 when the holy city comes from heaven to the new earth, right? And the dwelling of God is with man once again, with man. God God reveals in in Isaiah that the whole idea in the the Old Testament, that's not how it will always be. In, In Isaiah... We, we read Isaiah sixty five seventeen really from that point on to through 66. Isaiah prophesies, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Later in chapter 66, verse 22, he says, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. Isaiah Writing to the people of God fills them with expectant hope to look forward to what God would do. But then we have the fulfillment of that prophecy told of in 21 verses 1 through 2. It's that whole idea we said earlier, redemptive continuity. That the new heavens and the new earth have come. It's, it's continuity because John describes it as a what? A new heaven, a new earth, a new city. Right, We understand heaven, earth, and Jerusalem. We understand those concepts. They, are, they will be new, but they will be like what is here. They are familiar terms. They make sense to us. We understand them. So there's the continuity. But it's redemptive because all three of them are new. They've been made new. They've been restored. They've been transformed, sanctified, perfected, renewed, redeemed, and restored by the Lord. So it's redemptive continuity. God's making them new. Then we would understand refers not to them being cast aside, not to them being destroyed or replaced, but it's a transformation of what we know. It's a renewal, a restoration. So God is taking all that was marred by sin and renewing it to be exactly as He purposed. So that that which is new comes and the old passes away. It's not the idea of being annihilated. That's not what we see. And so if you have in your mind at the end when you die that you'll be annihilated, we've mentioned this several times in the series, that is not the biblical teaching. That's not the biblical teaching. If you're an unbeliever, you stand before the presence of God, you stand before the judgment seat of God, and unbelievers, Scripture teaches, unbelievers are cast into hell and to the lake of fire. We talked about that three weeks ago. And believers are, are taken to the presence of God in heaven. And so we read earlier this idea of the, the new coming, the old passing away. We've seen it. You who are believers have experienced this. It should make sense, right? Because you've experienced it already in your life that the old has passed away, the new has come. Right? What was, what was old is, is gone because Christ has made us a new Creation. He's made us new. You can look back at our very first sermon on verses 5 through 8 and hear more about what that means. The second thing we learn here in this passage is in verse 3 that man's relationship with God will be fully restored. Man's relationship with God will be fully restored. We see that in verse 3 where we read, and I heard a, a loud voice. From the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Last week, if you were here, we we studied John 14, 1-4. And and I told you in that sermon that the, the crowning jewel, the greatest thing about heaven is that Christ is there. We will be in the presence of Christ. That is the greatest thing about heaven. It far exceeds any of the description of Revelation 21, the fact that that Jesus Christ is there. Okay, So we talked about that. We talked about the importance of being in Christ's presence last week. But here we're reminded of what? That the great tragedy of sin is what? In the garden, when man sins, what's the great tragedy? The great tragedy is brokenness, separation, that, that the relationship between God and man is broken and separated. But the great beauty of God's redemption through Christ is the restoration, the reconciliation of that relationship that we are brought back together in Christ, through Christ is the only way that that relationship's restored. Only way, right? No one comes to the Father except through Christ. And what we see in Revelation 21:3 is we see three times Three times we're told that we will be with God. With God. He's making a point to us. God is getting it through our thick skulls that the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. God Himself will be with us. A relationship with Him restored. Oh, what a... What a beautiful picture this is. This week I was at youth camp and preparing, so if the sermon doesn't make sense today, you can blame it on all these guys with t-shirts on. But this week at camp, we were sitting in the room and Matt and I were talking about this and just talking about how remarkable it is. How amazing it is that, that A, we'll have our relationship restored with God. But what's really remarkable about that is that the one who restores that relationship is the holy God that we rebelled against. I I didn't restore my relationship with God. He restored it. The one who did not break the covenant made, God, the perfect covenant keeper, Is the one who established the new covenant through the shed blood of Christ that my relationship with him might be reconciled? That is grace and mercy displayed. That is a picture. If you want to know what grace is, if you want to know what mercy is, that's it. If you want to know what it really looks like to to be a person who forgives others, if you want to know what it really looks like to show love to others, look no further. That's why, that's why when we're called to forgive in Scripture, we're called to forgive as Christ, or as God in Christ forgives us. And as a side note, if any of us are sitting in here this morning struggling to forgive someone, we might want to check God's forgiveness of us. And that's why when Jesus looks at his disciples in John 13, 34, his calling to love is based on what? His love for them a new command i give to you love one another what as i have loved you two parties at enmity two parties broken and separated by sin restored and renewed this is this has been the thread through scripture Through the narrative. And just think Genesis 1 and 2. What do we see in Genesis 1 and 2? We see God and man walking together in perfect fellowship, relationship. There's no brokenness there. There's no sin. The relationship between God and man is perfect. But then what do we see? We see the fall in Genesis 3. And as a result of the fall comes separation between God and man. We see sin wreaking havoc bringing brokenness and and separation. But then God instructs His people to do what? He instructs them to build a tabernacle. And this tabernacle will be a a temporary place for, for God's presence to be among His people, the Shekinah glory of God to be among His people. But as we continue through the Old Testament narrative, what do we see? We see then the holy city Jerusalem, Zion, the city of David, and in the city of David, what would be built permanently? The temple. And the temple, what is it? The temple is where the presence, the Shekinah glory of God is found. Is God's dwelling among man. But that's not it. That's not where we look to. That's not the end. Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 7.14, when he prophesies of the Messiah, what does he say? His name will be called what? Emmanuel. And we read in Matthew 1, to 23, that Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah seven fourteen is fulfilled in Christ, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. In John 1:14, we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's here. Last week, we read in John fourteen three where Christ says, Take comfort. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Why? Because He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you where? Take you to Myself. I'll take you to Myself that where I am, you may be also. He's bringing us back to Himself. But in the meantime, what does he do? Just a few verses later in John 14, what is the great promise? What's the great assurance? In the meantime, what? He says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's the presence of God, the relationship that we have with God. But that relationship this continues, we just continue to move towards Revelation 21. We read this text last week too, 1 Thessalonians four seventeen. on the final day when, when Christ returns and he, he calls us home, the resurrection of the dead, he says what? The purpose is so that we will always be with the Lord. The relationship restored, and now we read in 21, 3, that they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God the grandest thing as we read Revelation 21 again, it's, it's remarkable to read of all of the, the how, how, how majestic it's going to be. It's going to be incredible. The most amazing thing is that God has restored and will restore perfectly the relationship between him and his people. We will be with God. Sorry, we're going to have to skip that section. We'll, get, we'll come back to it next week. Third thing that we learn. Third thing we learn. God's glory will be on full display. God's glory will be on full display. I, the only way I know to really describe verses 9 through 22, 5 is that it just simply oozes the glory of God. It's just like when I try to boil water for, uh, for rice or macaroni. It's, I put it in there and it just oozes over. I look over and the, the stove is a wreck because it's bubbled over. That's the picture here. The glory of God just bursting forth. The descriptions just, just overwhelm us with how glorious it is. Because it's the the grandest things that we can consider, that we can think about, that we can wrap our minds around. When we look at the whole chapter as a whole, that's not even really the focus. (laughs) The focus is that God's going to be with man. That God will be the light. That he provides the light. It just declares and shows God's glory. Do you remember Moses longed to see God's glory? Remember in Exodus 33? He longed to see God's glory. That was his request. Would you just let me see your glory? Right? He longed to see that. The tabernacle and the temple were places of God's glory among His people. What did John one fourteen say? When Christ comes, what did, we beheld His glory. Oh, in the new heavens and the new earth, the glory of God is the presence of God, and it is in brilliant, radiant display. We will behold the glory of God on full display in the presence of Him. In verse 11, It says that the new Jerusalem will come, and what does it describe it as coming? Having the glory of God. This glory will never fade. Why? Because it's the glory of the everlasting God. It will never fade. It will never dissipate. It will never leave. It will never change. Because it's God's glory. It's Him. His presence. And we see that description in verses 22 to 26. Just remarkable, right? There's, there's no need of a temple in heaven. Can you imagine John's looking around and, and the thing that stands out to him, and what does he see when, when he goes to Jerusalem, when he goes to Mount Zion? What does he walk to? What do all the Jews go to? They want to go to the temple. They want to see it how ornate it is. They, they want to see the temple. And in this moment, John's looking around going, where's the temple? Where is it? It's got to be here. No, it's not. It's not, John. Why? Because the Lord is the temple, it says in verse 22. His temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. That's it. You don't need a temple because his presence is there among us. He is dwelling with man. He lights the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. says, there's no need of sun or moon. Can you even... Imagine that. No need of it. Why? Because the Shekinah glory, the the glory of God is lighting it. I mean, some of you have have been on stage and a spotlight hits you in the eyes. Oh, that's bright. Oh, the brightness of Christ will light heaven. It will shine forth. I, I I love that line of the song we learned last week. We'll sing it again. I think next week, if I'm not mistaken, for City of Light. On that day, we will see you shining brighter than the sun. On that day, oh, what a, what a glorious thing to behold! Jim Hamilton, his his commentary, trying to help us understand what this what how glorious the presence of God is. He he writes this, and he's a beautiful picture. I couldn't say it better myself, for sure. He says, "The treasure." In the new heaven and the new earth is God. Look at how casually what is treasured by sinful hearts is used in the new heaven and the new earth. They take the largest pearls in the world and they make them into gates. Then they leave the gates open even though the city's made of pure gold. And they have the audacity to take all that jasper and just build it into a wall. All that gold and Just use it to pave the streets. All this shows that the real treasure of the new heaven and the new earth is God Himself. It's not gold. It's not pearls. All the treasure, the Queen of England, we use for road material and construction supplies. Because God is the treasure. So why is this good news? Why why is this good news when we sit this morning? I would say the first reason it's good news is because it reminds us that God is not finished. God's not finished. He is making all things new. And the brokenness and the pain and the separation, the struggles with sin, it will be gone. And God will restore and make all things new. The second reason I would say this is good news is this, is that the Christian has nothing but good to look forward to. We have, we have nothing but good to look forward to. It's not as though we're going to die and we should have in our minds this idea that we're going we're to die and we're going to heaven and we're just going to leave all these good things and God, we're going to be there going, man, I wish I'd have experienced that or I wish I had had that or I wish I could do this. No. Everything in life, Christian, everything in life that is good and true and beautiful, As we know it. It's still currently marred by sin in some way. But there will be a day when sin is no more. Nothing accursed will be found. And everything that we know that is good and true and beautiful will be made better in the presence of Christ. And that's good news good news I'll just close we'll look at number 4 and 5 next week I just want to close by directing your attention to verse 27 nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The only way that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned from your sins and trusted Christ? That is the only way. It's the only way. If you have done that, then in a few moments, you will be able to sing with great anticipation and joy the last line of all glory be to Christ. If you have not trusted Christ... You will not see or behold any of this. You will not see the glory of God. But according to Scripture, you will see and you will experience in full display the wrath of God. So the appeal is to trust God in faith. Trust Christ in faith today. Talk to one of us. Talk to someone here you know, as a believer. Respond In in faith in Christ. I invite you to stand. Their worship team makes their way up to the stage. We close with a song, Glory be to Christ. And believers, this is what we have the joy of singing when on the day, the great I am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light, and we shall e'er his people be. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign we will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. Let's sing and let's worship him.